0: This is Transistor, a science series from PRX.
1: This is Genevieve at PRX. Each year we do a call out for unique science stories so we can bring those stories to you. This story caught our ears because it includes a few things we love the backstory to a science-based product you see in the store, and some really smart women leaders. Okay, let's get started.
2: Well, it was in February of 1984. One of my employees came in and she said, you are pregnant. I dreamt about a fish last night. And she said, and it's you, it has to be. I said, no, that can't possibly be.
3: That's Gloria Allen. She didn't take her employee's fish stream at face value, though she did buy a pregnancy test. But back in the early 80s, the test wasn't the neat little wand that we use today.
2: It was like a little science kit. (laughs) It had a beaker, (laughs) you know, and I probably read the instructions 50 times
0: (laughs) before I do it because I didn't want to mess it up. This tiny chemistry set may have been difficult to use, but it was the very first pregnancy test that a woman could do all on her own, right in her own bathroom.
2: And I saw the little ring start to form. I got excited. I was like, okay, maybe this is really working. And you keep looking at the picture going, is it a ring? Is it? Am I sure it's a ring? Yeah, it's a ring. You know, Is that how it is now? There's either a plus or a minus or whatever. You know, No, you had to really look at it.
3: It was a long journey to get to those little plastic wands we all take for granted today. It required a lot of intense biochemical research spread out over about 100
0: years. I'm Anne Noyes-Sani. And I'm Amy Gastelum. And we're going to tell you about that research. Some of it is pretty weird. And we're also going to tell you about a key player who's largely been left out of the story. But before we get there, a little more about the science that made it possible. In the early days, pregnancy testing was kind of a grisly business. That's right. Back in 1927, these two German
3: gynecologists devised the first modern pregnancy test. They injected mice with women's urine,
0: and then they dissected the mice to see if their ovaries had changed. If they had changed, it meant the pregnancy hormone in the woman's urine triggered the animal's reproductive system. That hormone is called human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG for short. It's made by the placenta, and the important thing is that it's only there during pregnancy. Since then, all pregnancy tests, including the ones we have today, search for this hormone. So, this early pregnancy test worked, but it was also really complicated, and it took a long time to get results. And you had to kill a mouse or a rabbit, or a rat, every single time.
3: Lucky for all the furry animals, by the late 1940s, labs started using toads for pregnancy tests. They got results faster and the toads weren't killed. They could be used more than once. I think they were rested
0: for two or three weeks and then used again. That's Audrey Peaty. Back in the early 50s, she worked in a lab outside London, Her job was to make concentrates of urine samples sent by doctors all over the region. We then took half the sample
2: and injected it into a toad, which was then put into a jar. And that was put overnight into a warm room on a trolley. And in the morning, if the toad had laid lots and lots of eggs, that hormone was present.
3: So the person was pregnant. So the HCG in the women's urine would make the toad lay eggs. Disgusting. Perhaps. In the late 1960s, a Swedish medical student named Leif Vida figured out a way to do the whole test in a small glass tube. No toads needed.
0: So here's the ridiculously simple explanation. And again, HCG, our pregnancy hormone, was the key. Vida put some chemicals in a test tube, then added a few drops of lady urine. If the urine mixed with the chemicals and turned into a cloudy mess, she was not pregnant. But if she was pregnant, something altogether different happened. The HCG in her urine caused a ring to form at the bottom of the tube. Remember Gloria from the very beginning? That's the ring she
3: saw in her pregnancy test. So back to that Swedish med student. He partnered with a Dutch pharmaceutical company called Organon to manufacture this new pregnancy test. But the test was only done in labs and only if a doctor requested
0: it so this is the 1960s if you think you're pregnant you have to go to your doctor and he could send off your urine to be tested but he'd only do that if he thought there was something wrong if you seemed healthy but just curious to know too bad
3: yeah so all of that started to change one fateful day in 1967 a young designer named meg crane was working freelance for organon when she saw some pregnancy tests in their lab in new jersey and uh,
4: looking at that i thought well, how simple that would be. All you need is a test tube and a mirror. And uh, <laughs> that's, uh, and a woman could do it herself.
0: At the time, Crane was designing Organon's cosmetic products. But this idea that a woman could do that simple lab test herself, she couldn't shake it.
4: I went home to New York, and I kept thinking about it. And I started working on different models out of other styrofoam or cardboard or whatever else to try to make it happen. And I had on my desk a little plastic box with a cap. And it was a perfect thing. It just happened. It was perfect. And that's what I based the model on and took it to them.
0: Crane took Vita's test and redesigned it for women to use by themselves. She wasn't commissioned to work on this. It was a passion project. And when she showed her design to an executive she knew at Organon. He sort of laughed and said, you know, that maybe somebody else could do this,
3: but we can't. We, meaning Organon. At the time, almost half of Organon's business was selling pregnancy testing to doctors. So the idea of selling tests directly to women sounded totally crazy.
0: In Britain, a few pharmacies had started doing just that, letting women submit their urine for pregnancy tests, no doctor involved. And not everybody was happy about that. An article from a British newspaper in 1969 warns,
3: Women who apply for pregnancy tests to pharmacists instead of visiting their doctor may be risking their lives, the British Medical Association warned yesterday. So this is a a radical statement. It's not coming from a a kind of quack or a fringe doctor. It's coming from the British Medical Association.
0: Risking their lives.
3: Right. That's Dr. Jesse Oshinko Grin. He's a researcher at Cambridge University, and he studies the history of pregnancy testing. I mean, this really does sound crazy today, but, you know, the article continues that women who are not happy about a positive result might do something drastic like commit suicide. Doctors in the late 60s were convinced that women just couldn't handle knowing they
0: were pregnant without a doctor to counsel them. But to Meg Crane, that sounded crazy. Why did you need a doctor who was inevitably a man to deliver this very personal news.
4: Just as a woman, I thought, why couldn't you know this yourself? You know, for all purposes. You know, if you were young married and wanted to find out, you know, what's going on here, are you pregnant or not? And if you weren't married and were worried about what you'd have to do if you weren't, you'd want to know, period. You'd want to know yourself and not
0: have some authority tell you this. But Crane wasn't trying to make a political statement with her home test prototype. She just thought, the science is there. Why not make it available to women directly? And eventually, that's what happened. Organon's leadership,
3: based in the very liberal Netherlands, got wind of Crane's idea, and they liked it. They started selling her test in Canada in 1971, and it finally came out in the U.S. in 1977, a decade after Crane had
0: first visited that Organon lab. Today, home pregnancy tests are a multi-million dollar industry. But Crane never made any money from her invention. She couldn't afford to file for the patents, so she gave Organon the rights because she knew they could get the test into women's homes. By
3: the way, we did reach out to Organon's parent company, Merck,
0: to get their side of all this, but they declined to comment. Anyway, now it's hard to imagine a world without easy private access to pregnancy tests. But Crane kept her role in all of that to herself and just went on with her life. And the prototype that she built and hawked around at Oregon, she kept it packed away in a box in her apartment for 40 years.
3: Until June 2015, when she put it up for auction in New York City. It sells to you, Christina,
1: 4660.
3: The buyer was the Smithsonian's National Museum
0: of American History in Washington, D.C. So
3: we're going to walk down the hall to our storage room.
0: Alexandra Lord is the chair and a curator of the museum's History of Medicine and Science collection. She puts on gloves before picking up the small plastic box.
1: And if you look at it, it's not very sexy to look at. In many ways, it's very simple and straightforward. It's basically just a plastic box with a
3: mirror on the bottom, an angled mirror, and two test tubes.
1: It's a really
3: interesting comment on how someone who's not a scientist, Margaret Crane was a graphic designer, can play a major role in getting a scientific product into the hands of the general public.
0: Ukraine's prototype started as a paperclip box. Now it's being handled with gloves and humidity control.
3: That's right. It's taken up residence among our nation's most prestigious medical artifacts. One of the things about being a historian is that we're always looking at something in hindsight. And at the time, we don't always recognize the major breakthroughs that are occurring. So sometimes it takes 20, 30, 40 years before we really understand how important something was.
0: We're Anne Noyesani and Amy Gastelum from the podcast Mother.
1: Hear more of Anne and Amy's work at motherpodcast.com. Next time on Transistor, we begin a special series of five episodes called Trace Elements. Two hosts, one adventure, an off-road trip into the science that connects us. Here's a sense of what's coming. You'll meet a man who went through multiple operations, and while recovering from these procedures, he died in the hospital. When he woke up, things got really weird. That story coming up next time from Trace Elements. Transistor is brought to you by me, I'm Genevieve Sponsler, PRX Chief Content Officer John Barth, Editor Andrea Mustaine, and Audio Producer Josh Swartz. We are supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at sloan.org. This is PRX.